Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicles. Welcome to another edition of Clyburn Chronicles. Uh, I am very pleased to have with me today uh, someone that um, uh, I have known about for a long, long time, uh, but just getting to know, uh, Dr. Renault, Dr. Jewel Renault, uh, has uh, been appointed uh, the number two person at the Department of Agriculture. Uh, that is a very, very historic occasion. Uh, many of us uh, with long histories uh, with the Department of Agriculture, such as the history that I have. Uh, long before I came into the South Carolina State Government, where I served uh, as a special assistant to the governor of South Carolina, and then I became a state agency director for almost 18 years, and those two things together gave me 22 years. I've been in Congress now for almost 30. Uh, throughout all of that time, uh, I've had a background uh, in agriculture. In fact, I came to Governor West's attention uh, because of the work I was doing with South Carolina Commission for Farm Workers out on the Sea Islands of South Carolina, uh, the Gullah Geechee culture, a uh, culture that was based basically upon agriculture. Uh, and I came to know uh, what was going on at the Department of Agriculture way back then. Uh, in fact, uh, that work was in 1968. And that's when I was first introduced to these little three member committees that made all the decisions about who got loans, uh, housing or otherwise, uh, from the Department of Agriculture. And so uh, I began to develop a great appreciation for what could or should be done at the Department of Agriculture. And so when decisions were uh, being made as to uh, who should be in this administration, I was pleased to be a part of the group uh, that advocated uh, for Dr. Bruneau uh, because, you know, she has the background and experiences. Uh, she, like me, uh, had been appointed uh, by the governor uh, in, to be in this cabinet. She was the 16th uh, Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Virginia, uh, having been appointed by Governor Ralph Norton. Uh, so she's worked at the state level. She's worked with people who are trying to uh, make a go of it uh, in farming. I said on yesterday, uh, 
when the uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture was here in South Carolina with me, and I'm going to open this program really by sharing with you what I shared with the group on yesterday. My father was a minister, uh, and uh, he used to uh, really teach my two brothers and me uh, with real life experiences. I never shall forget him saying to me one time that of all the vocations, all the professions, the one that he admired the most was the farmer. And he said to us, that was because nobody lived faith as taught by the master more than the farmer. And I still remember the lessons. So I want you to remember anybody that digs a hole and drop a seed in it, cover it up and pray for enough rain to come for that seed to sprout. And once it sprouts, you gotta pray for enough sunshine to come so it would grow, blossom and bear fruit and then you would have to pray for weather conditions that would allow harvesting. To him, he said, all of that is out of the hands of the farmer. He does what he does these days. He, she does what she does by faith. Putting the seed and having faith. Rain will come, sunshine will come, and the weather will be conducive for harvesting. I've never forgotten that. And so as I go through my work today, I think about the farmer all the time. And I was so pleased when the Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary Vilsack, named this lady with the background and experiences that she's got to be the number two person at the Department of Agriculture. And I'm so pleased that she's here with us today to share her vision for that department, share with us the experiences that she's had and give us faith that things will be all right. Dr. Jewell. Congressman Clyburn, uh, thank you. First of all, thank you uh, for having me today. And, and I wanna just say to you, um, I express thanks to you for your long history of work. Uh, you are well respected by, by many people and you're a voice that uh, when you speak, people listen and not only do they listen, they take action. So uh, I'm very honored to be a part of this podcast today. I thank you for your support of me in, in receiving this role um, and you were supportive out of the gate and you expressed it very clearly uh, it actually gave me uh, quite a boost of confidence um, in thinking about how to move forward in such a big role. Um, it, it's a role that, as I have worked very hard throughout my career, uh, I, would, I, I didn't even imagine uh, taking on this role. And a lot of times, you know, people go, well, I wonder how I got, how I got this opportunity, you know, and then you think about it, well, you know, why not? Um, I have worked for many years uh, in agriculture, uh, 
started in this field in 2001 and um, I have worked hard. I am proud to represent agriculture. Uh, I am passionate uh, about supporting our nation's farmers. I'm passionate about supporting families, rural communities. Um, I hail from Petersburg, Virginia. Um, so I graduated from a predominantly uh, African-American city in high school and, and bring those experiences with me along as being the first African-American woman in this role at USDA. So I just want to thank you for everything that you do and everything that you have done and for your support of me. And I'm super excited to be here. Well, thank you so much. I think that most people are really, really concerned. And I know I usually like to uh, chronicle these things and sort of start back from the beginning and move forward. But I think we need to do this a little differently today. Uh, maybe start from where we are and move backwards a little bit. Uh, because I think that, that uh, a lot of people uh, are aware uh, of a certain part uh, of the Rescue Act. Uh, this um, target specifically uh, at um, uh, black and disadvantaged uh, farmers and what we can do to correct uh, a, a past wrong, making it right. Uh, and uh, so let's start from there. Uh, I know that there's been some controversy recently uh, about um, uh, the effort uh, to try uh, to correct some of the errors made uh, by uh, the Department of Agriculture. Uh, like I talked about that little three-member committee. Uh, uh, we know that those decisions as to who could get a housing loan I remember 504 being the section uh, that we had housing. Who could get loan uh, for their crops was based on race in too many instances. And uh, that's been found by the courts, it's been admitted to by the Department of Agriculture. Now, uh, those are the problems. Now, the question is how do you uh, compensate for that? How do you make that right? And that's what we we're trying to do with this new law. Uh, that um, is now in effect. And of course, uh, some people oppose it. Uh, now this law is to correct a wrong. This is not to supplement anybody, but this is to try to help people who uh, suffered indignities and wrongdoing. And if you have not had any indignities and wrongdoings visited upon you, then you don't need this law. Uh, so let's talk, uh, I want you to talk a little bit about exactly how you see uh, this new law that all this controversy is about, uh, what we ought to be doing uh, to uh, uh, make things right by black farmers. Yeah, thank you, Alan. absolutely. And uh, Congressman, I had the opportunity to, to serve as uh, FSA State Executive Director, and it was for a partial term under the Obama administration. And one of the things that, that was important to me was I wanted to visit every uh, county office 
there were 41 in the state of Virginia. I got in, in, in the federal vehicle and I drove around to all of them. Wanted to see the interactions, et cetera. Also wanted to sit on some, some, some county committees and you're talking about the three member committees, those county committees that, that make uh, quite a few decisions about the direction of resources for farmers in a, in a locality. Um, and, and what I learned very quickly was that, that that county committee had quite a bit of power in making decisions. You know, and I had, had was informed of the history of some of the challenges with the county committees, and, and I just wanted to see the structure. Um, moving forward today, um, I am very happy to see that USDA has pub publicly acknowledged not only that there have been individual acts of discrimination um, against socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers, but there has been systemic racism that uh, is, is, is embedded into the rules, the policies, and the guidelines that have significantly limited those farmers of color for being able to progress and have lost ground, have lost land, um, have lost opportunities, um, have lost their entire farm generations of setback because of systemic racism. USDA um, has acknowledged that publicly. Uh, Secretary Vilsack has acknowledged that publicly. And so now we are fortunate enough that uh, because Congress passing the American Rescue Plan that we now have mechanisms for being able to address, just begin, because it's not, it's not gonna solve every problem, but it begins to address uh, some of the issues uh, that farmers of color, black farmers, and other uh, farmers of different ethnicities have suffered. And we be can begin to move forward with trying to create a path so that, as my, my mother would say, they can come out of the hole. We can come out of the hole and we can begin to move forward and be successful. And so the efforts of the American Rescue Plan in terms of providing debt relief, um, which is was announced yesterday, um, we will begin to move forward with um, mailing letters out to farmers who qualify um, for repayment of uh, direct and guaranteed lo uh, loans. Looking forward to that. Um, that will begin to move forward uh, very expeditiously. Uh, those letters will be received by farmers uh, in early June. They can confirm the amount of debt that will be relieved. Um, send those back in once we receive those letters. There'll be a 20% direct payment sent to the farmers to uh, assist with some of the costs, the taxes, and some of the costs um, that they will incur from the debt repayment. And then about another month or so later, uh, the debt will fully be repaid. That is a step. That is a step that we're able to make as a result of the American Rescue Plan and the debt relief effort. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let's talk about that a little bit. That 20%, there's going to be a direct check in addition. Well, let's start from the beginning. Okay. You get this letter, and the letter says the department uh, has looked at your case, and we think 
that you are eligible for this and so. If you agree, sign the letter and send it back to us. If you don't agree, uh, then uh, let us know why, and then we'll then get together and find out what really needs to be done. Yeah. Now, we know uh, that if you agree uh, and you've got X number of dollars coming, and I didn't mention the number, but the federal government, the IRS, will look upon that as income, and right. which means that's going to add to your tax liability. So in this law, looking out for that, uh, the federal government, the Department of Agriculture is going to send you 20% uh, above what that is. That's correct. So that will help you pay for any additional taxes that you owe or some other kind of fees that yes. you may have to pay. Yeah. So I want everybody to understand this. If you got $10,000 coming, you will get 20% above that in a direct check. And you need to use that to help pay for the taxes. In addition, and this is where we get some criticism today and, and some people are, uh, are not uh, paying close attention. And that is the department has taken into account that the early payoff of these loans could very well uh, deserve, the banks may be deserving uh, of a fee uh, for a early payout. And that too, is taken into account with this. So uh, I think that the department has done the right thing. And I want you to uh, well, let the people know, uh, I hope I'm right about this. If I'm not right, that's why you're here. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Um, Congressman Clyburn, that 20% is to pay for everything that you outlined so that there are no additional costs that a farmer will incur. That's what that 20% is for, to pay those taxes and any other fees associated with the early repayment of that debt. And that payment will come as a direct deposit, but for those who uh, are not able to have that money directly deposited into an account, um, there will be an opportunity for those individuals to receive a check. Um, and we will have people who are here, if there are any conversations that need to be had, we have uh, staff at USDA who can address uh, any and all questions. And we invite everyone to, to visit farmers, farmer.gov, if there are any specific questions about the uh, American Rescue Plan. Well, I think it's important for us to have that discussion. I, uh, I'm going to talk with uh, my banker uh, tonight, uh, not in his capacity as my banker, but his capacity as my friend uh, to make sure that we uh, get on the same page uh, with the banking industry with all of this. Uh, this is a way for us to say to these families, uh, that were done so wrong, uh, wrongly in the past. Uh, you know, uh, when you have this little three-member committee, that we got 46 states, uh, 46 counties in the state of South Carolina. Now, each county had one of these little three-member committees. 
That's, that's three times 46. Now, I was a history major, so I'm not too that, all that good at math. Uh, but three times 46, whatever that number is, not a single person of color was on any of those committees uh, when I was running the South Carolina Commission for Farm Workers. And almost every loan they granted uh, went out on the basis of skin color. That's a fact. And we know that. And what we're trying to say now is those farmers that got treated that way, you got debt that you should not have had. We want to pay off these debts. And this is the assistance we're going to give to you. And but I, I want, just want, I'm sorry, just want go to right ahead. a note. Um, you know, Congress was very specific in the groups of individuals who qualify for the debt relief. So they, uh, they, they use the definition of social disadvantage from uh, 1990 law, section 2501 of, of, that, of that law, that based it on race and ethnicity, specific, specifically race and ethnicity. Um, so USDA is following um, the law as Congress has outlined it, and we're gonna be very specific uh, in the individuals who qualify for the debt relief. Absolutely, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, on yesterday, uh, I'm told that I uh, may have misspoken uh, yesterday. So let me just clear that up. When someone says, this is what you're doing for black farmers only, no. Social disadvantaged farmers may be non-black farmers, maybe Native American, Hispanic, other ethnic groups. Now I think uh, said I may have said uh, if you're white, uh, no, if you're non-black and socially disadvantaged and you fall in this category, this is for you as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the whole time I was there, all of this is based upon the fact uh, that the Department of Agriculture was doing right by white people while doing wrong by everybody else. So that's what this is. This is to correct the wrong. That's correct. Uh, not to supplement anything if you were not I don't know of a single white family that did not get the loan because of skin color. Yes. Uh, so this is what this is all about. Yeah, and very so, specifically, you know, Black African American, American Indian, Alaskan Native, Hispanic, Latino, Asian American, or Pacific Islander. They right. specifically are defined as socially disadvantaged according to the 1990 law. Absolutely, because every one of those groups Every one of them uh, suffered uh, because of their uh, skin color or ethnicity. And this is what we're trying uh, to do something about. Now, um, you know, there was uh, some farmers got a lot of help. You're working back now. Uh, under previous administration, you may recall, uh, because of the decisions made by the administration as it relates to trade, a lot of farmers got hurt by those decisions. And the administration decided that they would have this special appropriation of billions of dollars uh, to be of assistance to those farmers who were hurt by that policy. Now, let's take a look at who got that money uh, when this administration handed the money out. 
Now, I've not done the numbers, but I've done the reading. And according to my understanding, less than 1% of that money went to black farmers. That 99% of that money went elsewhere. Now, uh, the injury to black farmers was much, much more than that 1%. So uh, as you work back, uh, we know uh, that though I was doing this work back in 1968, 69, and 70, um, these policies were still there. We talked about two years ago. And this is what we're trying to correct. Uh, would you wish to address what may have or may not have happened yeah. Uh, with this trade policy that uh, was so injurious to uh, uh, to farmers? Well, um, you know, a lot of times uh, our black farmers has, has been left from the table and left out of opportunities. And that's why when you when, when we go back to the American Rescue Plan, we talked about the debt relief, but but there, there are other other things in the American Rescue Plan that can begin to help address some of the broader issues. Congressman Clyburn, you talked about, you know, the, the systemic racism that has occurred that has just, you know, decimated uh, black farmers across the nation and other socially disadvantaged farmers across the nation. So, you know, in that in that American Rescue Plan, you know, we're looking at uh, another percentage of funding that's available um, to really help black farmers identify new markets. Um, be able to uh, develop plans so that they can sell their products openly and effectively. Because you can relieve the debt, but then you also have to have an avenue for how to move forward. So being able to provide funding that's going to have outreach and technical assistance to assist Black farmers to help them create uh, new market opportunities, to be able to participate more fully um, in, in things like trade, to establish an, an equity commission, um, to, to really take a look at and keep an eye on how we're going to provide that support uh, to black farmers to address heirs property and land loss. Um, black farmers have lost more land than any uh, other group of individuals in this country. They've lost their land, their farms throughout generations, never to be gotten back. So uh, addressing heirs property issues and even providing funding to uh, the nation's land grant institutions through extension and, and other outreach efforts so that there's, there's help out there um, for farmers in addition to the debt relief that can be used to address some of the issues of, of missed market opportunities and others um, that they have been affected by in, in previous administrations. Well, I'm glad you brought up the uh, issue of AS property. That is a very, very important issue uh, here in South Carolina. I uh, have some experiences with that in my background as well. I served on the board of Penn Community Center uh, back in the uh, uh, 60s and 70s. And uh, when we were there, uh, when I was on that board, we developed a program uh, to go out and try to be of assistance to people uh, with AS property, uh, and a lot of people lost their land. I, I remember several cases 
uh, let's say eight or nine siblings inherit land from their parents. There was not a will, so the land went to all of them as his property. And then the, um, one uh, would sell, or as it would, yeah, this is more than one case. Yeah. Would sell his or her interest to somebody they don't even know, maybe, but they got a check. They need the money. They sell their interest. Now, that might be one tenth interest, but then that one tenth interest would then go into court and start a court action and end up with 10 tenths right. uh, because of systemic racism built into the system. Uh, and so, what this law will do, in addition to the other things, is be of assistance to people who are. Uh, in possession of his property to help them uh, navigate through that and um, uh, come up with a more equitable uh, treatment. And I emphasize that word equitable because I try to use that word as much as I possibly can. I, I tell people in my role as chair of the select subcommittee on the coronavirus uh, that our job is to make sure the money is spent efficiently, effectively, and equitably, not equally, but equitably, there's a difference. And so I think that's what this law is all about, trying to make sure that equity yes. is built into the system. People ought to be treated according to their needs, not so much according to their positions, but according to their needs. And that's what this is all about. And I think people, you know, the, the, that term equity, you know, people, people need to understand um, you know, when you when you think about an, an apple tree and it, it leans in one direction, that's a that's an image that has been used. And, and so if it leans in one direction, the direction in which it leans makes that individual under that side of the tree be able to get the apples easier than the person who's on the opposite side of the tree. Now, you know, that must be a Virginia thing. I've never quite heard that one before, but that is quite right. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> that's and, right, you, right. and you can give two people a, a, the same ladder. Same height ladder, and it'll it'll help a little bit, but it's still gonna it's still gonna keep the person on the opposite side of the tree from being able to, to reach the ladder. That's, right. that's that's what we call equality. But equity is when you raise that ladder a little bit more on the person who's having the more difficult time reaching the apple, so that they too can reach the apple in the same way that the person on the lower side of the tree can reach the apple. And that's what Absolutely. we have to do. We have to, in many cases, with groups who have suffered disproportionately and historically over many issues, and we're talking about, you know, our, our uh, farmers of color, um, we have to, to give an extra boost, you know, so that there is equity and, and, and so that, that our groups can be whole, because that's what it's about. People are out here trying to make a living. Uh, trying to be successful, trying to support their families. And I, and I learned about uh, Ayers property when I was at Virginia State University at a field day and uh, a mother she came to me. I think she was, a, she was a grandmother, but she was certainly the patriarch of her family. And she came to me in tears and, and she said, you know, we've had this, this family farm, you know, in our family, it's been in our family for generations. And, and now we can't get the folks in the family to agree come together, their challenges. We're trying to track down records of who owns what, because 
you know, people passed things down informally and then they had children and it, and it moved on. And when they got all tied up in litigation and trying to get documents and, and trying to find a, you know, a tax lawyer, they couldn't afford it and didn't understand it. And it's just, just so fortunate. She cried real tears and see the, the heirs property law as we move forward will hopefully address and helping people. If you're just a single heir and you farm that land and you need resources and uh, to be able to hire someone, uh, a lawyer, a tax lawyer, accountant, uh, someone to gather records that you'll be able to get funding to support that and make those decisions about that land that you know has been farmed and taxes paid by maybe even one individual. They can get help in, in, in trying to make the correct estate plans and et cetera so that they don't have to lose that land. As you said, Congressman Clyburn, someone comes in and buys up you know, a, a tenth one from one of the one of the heirs, and soon the whole property's lost. And that's what we've seen with with a lot of these lost people just losing land because of a decision of one one heir. And right. you know, land is is a, a limited resource. When it's gone, it's gone. Land also will pay you back. That's why it's so important to be able to acquire it and hold on to it. Um, so the heirs property law and going forward, USDA will be outlining. Uh, an heir's property grant and loan process that will be forthcoming. Well, I'm very pleased to hear that. And I, I think that a lot of our listeners will be very, very happy uh, to know that the federal government is now, now we, we've had quite a few uh, situations. In fact, on yesterday, uh, when the secretary was here, uh, over in Archbury County with us, uh, the young lady that runs uh, the heirs uh, property uh, project down in Charleston that came up. She was on the panel with us uh, to let people know that if you have having a problem with this, uh, they're there to be of assistance. We've had these kinds of groups. Uh, the Penn Community Center had its group uh, and the Charleston group is there. But this is the first time that I know of, now I'm not going to say it's not, it's the first time, it's the first time that I know of that the federal government has stepped into the picture and says, look, we're going to be of assistance to these people who have been un treated unfairly, who have been unwittingly caught up in the web uh, that we can assist them uh, with getting out of. Uh, and that's a part of this bill, the American Rescue Act, trying to rescue, I think, that the Biden administration it was so smart in calling it that. We aren't, this is not a stimulus, uh, people call it the stimulus plan. No, this is the rescue things. Yeah. We've been working now trying to pass a stimulus plan. And that's what the uh, family plan, American family plan is going to be, the American jobs plan. Those are to stimulate doing what is necessary to have uh, broadband. And I want to mention that too, because the Department of Agriculture plays a big uh, role. I remember back when we were putting together the Recovery Act back in 2009, uh, I had a hard time getting broadband money into the Department of Agriculture. Uh, they wanted to give all the money to the Department of Commerce. Now, the Commerce can do stuff in rural areas, but that's not their uh, forte. I wanted ag to have some money uh, because I, if you rule oriented, uh, I think you do better by rural people. Uh, so 
broadband is going to be big yeah. uh, in this uh, new building. I'm hopeful uh, that the Department of Agriculture will play a very big role in making sure that we get uh, everybody in this country connected. Oh, you yeah. know, yes. I, I often tell the uh, story, and maybe some of my listeners have heard me tell this, share this testimony before. Of a, I don't think you've heard it though. So, uh, you know, when the uh, co-ops were getting ready to celebrate their 50th anniversary back uh, uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, they published a little tabletop book that they called The Next Greatest Thing. And the reason that book was called The Next Greatest Thing was because of a testimony that was given by a farmer in the Tennessee church one night when he stood up and said, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. The greatest thing on earth is to have the love of God in your heart. And the next greatest thing is to have electricity in your house. Now, that might have been the next greatest thing for the 20th century. Right. But I sincerely believe that the next greatest thing for the 21st century is to have broadband in every home. And I'm hopeful uh, that we can get the kind of infrastructure program uh, with the Department of Agriculture playing a very critical role in helping us get broadband in every home. Absolutely. And again, uh, going back to uh, the American Rescue Plan and funding provided to USDA uh, through rural development. You know, uh, you said it so well, Congressman Clyburn, you know, when you think about the things that we need to do, whether it, whether it's, it's health related, telehealth, um, th those critical medical resources, especially uh, as a result of the COVID pandemic, you know, mental health and being able to access mental health um, through virtual meetings, schools, socializing, uh, small businesses. We need that broadband connectivity and we need it at a rate fast enough that it can be effective all across this country. So uh, we were really excited when uh, there was funding outlined and for rural development. And we're, we're excited. We will uh, soon be making an announcement through the rural, um, rural Development Reconnect Program for resources and assistance loans, and in some cases, uh, grants made available for people to be able to access that funding um, and get that broadband service fully established. And that that's a uh, funding opportunity that can be used not, um, not without partnering with others. So there are opportunities to partner with state money and, and other money. So, you know, we are a, an additional resource um, that can be used to get that, we call it in Virginia, that last mile, uh, the furthest outreaches in the communities who have not been able to have broadband, uh, for them to be able to get that broadband connectivity is gonna be extremely important. And so um, that's something we're really excited about here at USDA. Well, that's uh, quite true. You know, um, uh, what we're doing here in rescuing in, with this rescue plan is really, uh, highlighted by a couple of facts. Uh, one of those facts is when I uh, was coming along, um, black farmers were in the double figures in this country. Today, less than 2% of all the farmers are black. Yeah. They're very low 
single digits. Now I talked about some other fact. I saw a, a figure the other day that said when those farmers got uh, uh, monies for uh, the trade problems, uh, the black farmers got one-tenth of one percent. I have not done the math, so I don't know. I don't do math a whole lot. Uh, but though the history said they didn't get treated right. Uh, and what we're trying to do now is to make sure that we correct the wrong. I don't know. No, I've uh, been uh, talking to a lot of people today, so I don't know if I said this earlier. If I did, I apologize for being repetitive. But, you know, um, in my studies of history, I often uh, recite Alexis de Tocqueville's um, admonition that uh, America's greatness is not because it is more enlightened than any other nation, but rather because it has always been able to repair its faults. And that's what makes us great. And that's what the Biden administration is trying to do. That's what uh, you and Secretary Vilsack were trying to do here, trying to maintain America's greatness by repairing a fault that we have found, a fault that has been exacerbated by COVID-19. Uh, we know uh, that uh, when we first started out trying to do something about arresting this pandemic, uh, uh, there was a problem getting the testing done. We had to go to mobile testing. We had to do something to compensate uh, for the lack of uh, transportation that people have living in rural areas. Uh, so you got to reach people where they are. Uh, and that's what we've got to do uh, with these things. We've got to, uh, COVID-19 has told us uh, that, uh, you know, some children are going to miss the second year of school. Uh, this year was the second year for some, some children. Uh, the children with broadband kept on going. Those homes without broadband, some of them, many of them got to repeat a school year. So I'm going to congratulate you for your background. You know, I uh, started out talking about some of your accomplishments. I didn't say anything about that PhD you got from uh, Virginia Tech that helps prepare you for this job. Uh, but you know, uh, I always tell people experience is the best teacher. And you've got experience, not just as uh, agriculture secretary, not just as uh, farm service agency person, but you um, uh, may want to tell us about this uh, Virginia Farmer Stress Task Force that you you ran uh, and what okay. you're doing. Yes, sir. Uh, I appreciate your, it. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about that. I, you know, in my roles. Um, when I worked at, at Virginia State University, I mentioned FSA. Um, and then uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, I was able to, uh, fortunate enough to serve as the Commissioner of Agriculture for the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And I am a person who likes to get out. Uh, I don't think you make good decisions staying in offices all the time. Um, so, you know, I, I would travel around the state and I would, I would, I would talk to farmers. And um, even, even before the pandemic, what, what I was hearing was that farmers had been under significant stress. You know, we, we've had farmers face so many challenges. You know, you can't control the weather. 
you know, sometimes you can't control, you know, what happens to your crops or your animals. You can't, you don't have a lot of control. You, sometimes you can't control markets. Um, and then all the weight of that family falls on the, the, the shoulders of the person who leads that family, that, that farmer. And, and guess what? Even as optimistic as farmers are, which they are, I don't care who I've met, all of them, optimistic. And, and they feel like I, I need to pull myself up. I need to pull my family up. Sometimes you just can't. It's too much. Um, and as very proud people, uh, you will not see um, those individuals, farmers really express that stress, but they have been under significant stress. Um, and so, you know, there was a call to action to me that came both directly and indirectly that, you know, you need to do something about this. And, you know, so I thought, you know, if someone is to the point where they're so stressed out and even thinking or contemplating suicide sometimes, because there have been a lot of undocumented instances of, of farmers and even their family members taking their own lives. Sometimes they look like a, a farm accident, but it wasn't really an accident. You know, who, where do they go? You know, so we began in Virginia to try to coordinate and have conversations about, you know, who are the folks who are closely, work closely with, with farmers and their families, who they trust, that could talk to them about maybe if they were struggling, who they could call, who could provide mental health services. Is there a hotline number? Um, where can they go? And that started the farmer stress work that uh, I was able to do in Virginia. We are we're still working on finalizing um, a documentary and that will stay with the Department of Agriculture, but that's going to be a great educational piece about what this really is, what it means uh, to our nation's farmers and ranchers and, and, and hopefully that there is help out there uh, for, for all of us because we need to have a place of hope. We really do. And if we don't have a place of hope and you, you're a, a God-fearing man and, and a faith-filled man, we have to have some, something to have faith in in order to be able to make it going forward. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the uh, Virginia Food Access Investment Fund. How did that work? That, that's interesting. I, um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to work with, uh, her name is Delegate Dolores McQuinn. She represented uh, the city of Richmond and uh, I think some parts of, of Chesterfield. She told me 10 years ago when I was at Virginia State, she said a young man came to her house, a, a young child, and he knocked on the door and he said that he was hungry. He, he didn't have anything to eat and, and, and he wanted something to eat. And she said she just was forever changed by the fact that, that this, this, this kid came to her door. And she realized in many, in many cities uh, and, and many towns that people don't have access to not only fresh, healthy food, but they can't even get to the local grocery store. They, they don't have a car, they can't walk. Uh, it's too far to walk. The bus system sometimes doesn't work out. So she she came to me 10 years ago wanting to do a study on what they were calling back then food deserts, places that had low access. People did not have ex access to, to fresh, healthy food or sometimes any food at all. Going forward, uh, she got the Virginia General Assembly to think about um, how they could utilize state funding to provide uh, retail outlets help construct these outlets, um, you know, infrastructure for these, for these outlets to provide food 
for low food access communities. Uh, the unique thing about the Virginia Food Access Investment Fund is specifically it was to go to uh, what we called uh, equitable food oriented development, utilize equitable food oriented development principles, meaning that it would go to marginalized communities of color. The funding is specifically designed for BIPOC communities who want to uh, create a food-based retail business that will serve the community. It will recognize the history of the community. It will develop jobs in that community and training, but it will provide fresh, healthy foods to that community. So there's a kind of a multi-layered concept of the Virginia Food Access Investment Fund program. But I think the historic piece is, at least for a State Department of Agriculture, it's probably the first statewide or state level funding initiative to address food access in BIPOC communities specifically. And I was uh, very proud as commissioner to be able to work with her and Senator Jennifer McClellan in Virginia to be able to have the Department of Agriculture lead such a unique and uh, innovative funding program. Well, that's great. You know, uh, I'm a great believer uh, in the fact that states or really incubators uh, for so much that can be done on the national level. Uh, in a program like that, I, uh, I would hope that uh, you would find a way uh, to see whether or not that could be nationalized uh, in a way that uh, will help us to elim uh, eliminate some of these uh, food deserts. You know, I tell people all the time that I, um, I'm a big proponent of the 3D program and it got nothing to do with movies is deleting digital deserts that's my 3d program deleting digital deserts and so i think we need to do the same thing when it comes to food in fact you know uh, i have this annual program uh, it's really a, a big golf tournament uh, i give out 107 this year i'll be giving out 175 scholarships to young people each one of them will get a laptop laptop as they have been getting for years each one will get a software package but i'm doing we always had a, a, a food bank there as well food distribution this year we're going to employ because of the pandemic and because uh, of the rule nature of this is it doordash oh yeah yeah uh, you know about well you know i i, I just met uh, with the ceo of doordash some of his staffers and uh they are going to be assisting me this year they are going to uh come to rural santee south carolina and they're going to be dashing out food uh, to the doors of people uh who uh, are immobile and not able to come uh, to the place we usually just stay in this spot and they all come there yeah. uh but when you really get down to it, a lot of people can't get there That's right. so we're going to use doordash this year uh, they get food to people uh, who uh, can't get to get it themselves. Now, we also have the um, health fair, but we aren't going to be able to, to send the vaccines to everybody. There'll be one or two uh, that we may uh, be going to, uh, but as a rule, uh, they'll have to come to the spot. But I'm going to thank you uh, for all that you've done, uh, for bringing your experiences uh to uh this 
Department of Agriculture. Uh, you know, when I wrote my memoirs, I called it Blessed Experiences. And I said in the introduction to the book, all of my experiences have not been pleasant, but I've considered all of them to be blessings. And, and I think that we are blessed uh, by having you at the department because you do have the kinds of experiences that I think are necessary to get the department sensitized to what's really going on in a lot of rural communities uh, that goes beyond whether or not you're a farmer. You know, you don't have to be a farmer uh, to be eligible for rural housing. Uh, and there are a lot of other rural things that can be made available. Healthcare. Uh, we've closed in rural hospitals all over this country. We need health, uh, community health centers in rural communities. All of this in addition to broadband. So I'm convinced that this Department of Agriculture uh, is going to make some significant innovations uh, that will help us revolutionize uh, rural America uh, and make sure uh, that the rural America uh, is treated uh, in the same manner, let's say with equity, uh, when it comes uh, to funding. Yes. Uh, so you have any closing comments you want to make? Yeah, yes, sir. And um, I, I'm just so pleased that uh, you would have me on this program. And I know you have uh, quite an audience. And, and, I, and I just want to say just a couple things. Um, one, I take this role very seriously, and I understand the, the expectations of me in this role as, as a Black woman. Um, and I realize I represent all people, but, but I uh, am expected to be a voice for some people um, who have not had been heard. That's part of what my role will be, to, to be the voice for people who have not been heard. And I, and I said to myself, I would not step into this role um, un unless I would be given that opportunity. And, and very early on when I interviewed with uh, Secretary Vilsack, you know, I was able to ask him questions about, you know, how serious was he in his intentions to move this department forward in a way that it did address uh, issues of systemic racism and and, and, and if he wasn't serious, I may not be the best person for this role. Um, and he assured me that he was very serious. Um, and he has assured me not only with his words during the interview, but with his actions going forward and with the guidance um, that he has provided in the leadership for USDA. And so I am very happy um, that that is the intention of USDA. USDA going forward wants to heal those relationships and be a place where communities can come to us, especially communities of color can come to USDA and trust that we are a resource for them, that we're trustworthy, that we're honest, and that we do what we say we're gonna do. Uh, that is my intention, that is Secretary Vilsack's in intention as well, and that's how we're gonna move forward. So I, I wanna say in all sincerity, um, I understand the nature of this role. I take it very seriously. And I, I always tell my, my, my husband, I got to be able to go to sleep at night. Um, so that means I have to do my best to do the right thing. So Congressman Clyburn, uh, we're going to do the right thing going forward. 
And I wanted to say that to you and to all of your listeners. Well, thank you very much. And we have full faith and confidence that you will do just that. Uh, I am thankful to you uh, for being here with us today. And for those of you who are listening, this has been another edition of Clyburn Chronicles brought to you uh, by Jim Clyburn, uh, who proudly represents the 6th Congressional District of South Carolina. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Clyburn Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.